0: We are, what we've been focused on lately is we've been going through the book of Acts, and the title of our teaching series is called Praxis, uh, and because the, the word Praxis is about uh, Praxis is about uh, blueprints becoming buildings. Praxis is about sheet music becoming a symphony. It's about things being enacted, built. And so we've been looking at the book of Acts and, and talking about what does it mean to live out the way of Jesus, to implement what Jesus has achieved in Bellingham in the 21st century, and looking at the early uh, followers of Jesus for hints and clues and ideas on, on how to do that. So we're going to continue with that this morning. Uh, I want to start with, there's a, an author by the name of David Foster Wallace, uh, who, American author, uh, very influential over the last couple of decades, he's, he actually, he, he's no longer living. But in 2005, he gave a uh, commencement speech address at a school, I think it's in Ohio, Kenyan College. Uh, and and uh, the title of the, the commencement address is, This is Water. Uh, really interesting. It's 20-25 minutes long. I encourage you maybe that later this week to listen to it. You can find it on YouTube. or You can find the manuscript online as well to read through it or listen to it. Interesting, but I want to I want to just listen to a clip of it together this morning. Uh, this is a um, it's a secular setting. It's a pluralistic, multi-religions type of setting. But I want to want to listen to the observation uh, that he makes uh, about worship in particular because uh, I find it to be very interesting. So can we listen? Let's listen to that clip together now.
1: Because here's something else that's weird but true. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And a compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship, be it JC or Allah, be it Yahweh or the Wiccan Mother Goddess or the Four Noble Truths or some inviolable set of ethical principles is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive if you worship money and things if they are where you tap real meaning in life then you will never have enough never feel you have enough it's the truth worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. On one level, we all know this stuff already. It's been codified as myths, proverbs, cliches, epigrams, parables, the skeleton of every great story. The whole trick is keeping the truth up front in daily consciousness. Worship power. You will end up feeling weak and afraid and you will need ever more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. Look, the insidious thing about these forms of worship is not that they're evil or sinful, it is that they are unconscious. They are default settings. They're the kind of worship you just gradually slip into, day after day, getting more and more selective about what you see and how you measure value without ever being fully aware that that's what you're doing.
0: He starts off and he says, everybody worships. Everybody worships. To be human is to be a a being that worships. That's uh, that's naturally how we are. And and here it's a secular, it's this kind of multi-religious, pluralistic setting. And yet in the midst of it, it's this recognition of some very profoundly true things. Uh, one, that everyone worships something. Two, he goes on and he says that what we worship directly impacts who we are becoming. What we worship impacts our identity, how we see ourselves and who we're becoming. And then three, he, he, he touches on this and actually further in uh, his address, he, he, go, he, he expounds on it further, but this idea that uh, the cultural water we swim in, our default setting, that we drift, we naturally drift towards a, a self-centered worship, a worship of ourselves, putting ourselves at the center, the most important thing in the universe, our own needs, our own wants, our own desires. That's the direction we naturally drift. Everybody worships. It shapes who we are, and we tend to drift towards worshiping ourselves, being ourselves at the center of the universe. These are these are these are true things he's observing, and uh, and I, yeah, it's and it, it's interesting because have you ever have you ever met have you ever met someone who is deeply and profoundly self-centered, who who they really worship themselves and their own wants and their own needs and their own desires, who's drifted all the way that direction. They worship themselves as the most important thing in the universe. And when you when you're around a person like that, do you tend to think? Ah, here it is. Potential of human life unlocked. This is who we are meant to become. Like the, all of us. Yes, this is the direction. No. Or do you tend to be very turned off, almost repulsed by this? This The, our, the, the waters we swim in, it drifts, it drifts us towards worship ourselves, and yet um, that's not who we're meant to become. Central to the Christian faith is the idea that, that uh, the God of, of the living God of the universe, the God we are meant to worship, is uh, he is self-giving love. He had Father, Son, Spirit, and a, a community of self-giving love. And, and it's concretely demonstrated in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, where the Son of God would lay down his life. He would suffer. He would take on evil and suffering and even death upon himself to rescue others, even rescue his enemies. This, this God of self-giving love is who we are meant to worship and whose image we are meant to be shaped into. And when we worship Him, we become more like Him. We are actually becoming more like we, who we are designed to be. And so, uh, the early... Jesus movement, the early church, the early people following Jesus together, they, uh, they found themselves, they recognized that, the, 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 that there's this natural default, this drift towards worship of self, um, pushing away from worship, the, self-giving, uh, the the God of self-giving love. And so they had to learn to swim upstream. How do, and they had to work out, how do we swim upstream against this drift to worship the true God of the universe? Because have you ever, I mean, have you ever felt that? Have you ever felt that our, your life, the world we're in, that it pulls you, it tugs you at times to be someone you don't desire to be? Have you ever felt that drift that it's, it's gently pulling you just to put yourself again at the center of the universe, to worship yourself, that your needs, wants, and desires are the most important thing in all of reality? Have you ever felt that drift? In the early Jesus movement, they said, how do we swim against that? And part of that was how do they worship? Because what we worship shapes who we're becoming. So I want to look this morning at how that how the early Jews, Jesus movement did this, how they swam upstream together. We're going to look. Uh, we're going to look in the same passage we've looked at the last few weeks in Acts chapter two. So uh, if you want to follow along in your Bible, I invite to, you to turn there now. Uh, Acts is way to the right in the New Testament. It's after the book of John. It's before the book of Romans. And just to remind us where we're picking up in the story, Jesus, as uh, he's been executed, he's risen from the dead, and he's gone to the center of reality. He's ascended to heaven, and uh, and now, and it's just two months. It's, it's something like two months after um, his crucifixion and resurrection, and so we're at the very earliest ground level of the Jesus movement. They're just starting to work out what does it mean to live the way of Jesus and, and to work this out together, and uh, we're going we're gonna to observe how they did that. So let's, let's read together Acts 2, beginning in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. to their number daily, those who are being saved. Today, the, the idea that I want us to focus in on together, this idea of worship, that he, this, this, uh, this early Jesus movement, the way they swam upstream against the drift towards worship of self, the way they did that is they regularly and actively engaged in the worship of God uh, the the God of their people, the worship of God and His Son Jesus, uh, their King. They regularly and actively engaged in worship of God and His Son Jesus, their King, and they uh, they they aligned they pointed their hearts and minds towards this center together over and over and over again. They regularly did that. Now, uh, maybe you hear me say that, I, I, you know, you hear me say, well, they regularly worshipped, and you think, well, okay. That's interesting. That doesn't actually even say the word worship in there. What do you What do you mean when 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 you say they're regularly worshiping? And so I want to make a few observations in the text to talk about. This is this is how I see them worshiping, uh, in this in this text. So there's a there's a few things. So first of all, they were regular. Twice it mentions them breaking bread together breaking of bread. And so this breaking of bread, it would have been a meal that they had in someone's home. Uh, There would have been part of the meal would have been thanking God for providing for them, but also a key part of the meal would have been what we call today the Lord's Supper, a communion or a Eucharist, where they take bread and break it and take a cup and drink from it to remember, to celebrate, uh, to worship uh, for how Jesus uh, gave his life to rescue them from sin and death and evil. And so that Worshiping Jesus, recentering again on Jesus, breaking of bread. That was a regular part uh, of their life together. Breaking of bread, and then also says they're devoted to the prayers. Uh, it, it, I think in our translation, what we read today, it just says devoted to prayer. But in the Greek, it's, there's a definite article. The prayers. They're devoted to the prayers. And so that was most like, I mean, it probably included just regular prayer life together. But also specifically the prayers. In first century um, Israel, uh, the Jewish people, they had the regular twice a day. They would gather together and pray the Psalms. And so it's probably related to that. They're devoted to this gathering and praying scripture together on a regular basis. Worshiping God through prayer. Uh, they, uh, it says that, that it was um, so that they had these actions these prayers together it included their emotional life as well when we read through there it says everyone's filled with awe uh, the awe is mystery it's a, it's a sense of mystery a sense of fear a sense of um, wonder um, at who God is they're filled with awe and it also says they're filled with gladness or joy the sense of thankfulness for God's their God's closeness and love of them so it included their emotional life included a uh, large group gathering says they gathered in the temple courts and so this would have been in the temple courts you could have gathered hundreds and thousands of people the entire Jesus movement could have all been gathered in a large group for hearing teaching and worshiping together and praying together and then it also says they gathered in small groups they gathered in people's homes for this the sharing this breaking of bread and praying together and worshiping so they they Worship in small groups and um, and large groups, and so this this worshiping, this this active engagement in worship, it, it involved action, it involved words, it involved singing. Oh yeah, it says praising God in there as well. That's right. So this would, that would have been in conversation or even songs together. So it would involve singing and talking and actions. It would involve their emotional life, their whole being. It would have been in big groups and small groups. The, the active, regular, that over and over again, they regularly, actively engage, centering their minds and hearts on God and his son, their king, Jesus, has shaped who they were together, worship. There's a quote uh, by a man, Archbishop William Temple, that I think captures the heart of Of their worship very well. The heart behind what they were doing. And I want to just uh, read this. He says, he describes worship this way. Worship is the submission of all our nature to God. It is the quickening of the conscience by his holiness. The nourishment of mind with his truth. The purifying of imagination by his beauty, the opening of the heart to his love, the surrender of will to his purpose, all this gathered up in adoration, the most selfless emotion of which our nature is capable. That captures this, uh, the, what the, the heart behind what they were doing, this, this engagement of the, their entire selves as individuals and as a community and centering it on God and His Son, King Jesus. Regularly, actively engaging in worship of God and His Son, King Jesus. They did this over and over together. And it, and it shaped who they were as individuals. It shaped who they were as a community. This is how they swam upstream. Upstream. The image, uh, the image that comes to mind when I think about this. Did uh, when you were a kid or maybe in elementary school, did anybody play with iron filings and magnets? Is that is just fun? It's good fun, uh, but you know, you, you iron filings, you know, the little shavings when you you put it down on a surface, they're just kind of chaotically everywhere, right? And uh, and I think in some ways that represents this these this people. You know, the early Jesus movement, there were people from all different nations around the world. You read that in Acts two, that all these people from all different countries speaking all different languages, they come together and, and begin following Jesus. So you would add rich and poor, young and old, people from all different countries. This this conglomeration of people in their hearts and their minds probably were pointed in all different directions to begin with. But like dropping a magnet in amongst iron filings, worship, this aligning their hearts, their minds, their imaginations, emotions, all up towards God and His Son, King Jesus. There's this alignment. When you drop a magnet in there, there's this focusing on the center that takes place. And I see the early church, in their worship, they aligned, their lives aligned around God and His Son, King Jesus. And when we worship, we align together our hearts and our minds around the center, the true center of reality. We line up with how things really are. So this, uh, the early church, the way they swam upstream, swam against the drift towards worship of self, uh, was they, they, they actively engaged in worship. They did this through actions, through breaking of bread. They did this through praying. They did this through singing. They did this through meeting in big groups and meeting in small groups. It involved their emotions. And um, I guess in short, I would say for the, for, the early, uh, for the early Jesus movement, worship for them was a verb. Worship was an action that they did. It wasn't, it wasn't a, a religious good or service that they purchased. Worship, worship for them wasn't something they observed. Worship wasn't, wasn't something that they, they, they went and saw happen. Worship for them was something they actively engaged in. Worship was a verb. Worship still is a verb. A couple of weeks ago, uh, when we were talking about um, we are talking about the apostles' teaching and the, how we devote ourselves to the story of Jesus, one of the ideas that we we uh, recognized is that um, one way this drift towards worship of self and our, our kind of our own wants and needs, one way that kind of can influence uh, the church uh, in North America is that, that sometimes we can move towards something we call religitainment. Religitainment, when religion... Becomes a means of distraction and entertainment, rather than an encounter with the holy that leaves us transformed. That there's this that we can we can we can purchase we can um, we can purchase religious goods and services and just observe, rather than see worship as something we actively engage in ourselves. And this isn't, this isn't an entirely new thing. Um, actually, there's a, uh, there's a Danish philosopher by the name of Soren Kierkegaard who lived in the 1800s. And uh, Soren Kierkegaard, he observed a similar kind of thing in the, in the church in Denmark 150 years ago. Uh, and, and Kierkegaard, he used the, the analogy of the theater to talk about this. And Kierkegaard said when, when he goes to church, oftentimes what he observes, uh, his impression, is that the mindset is that the congregation is the audience. They're passively watching what's co- taking place, and the, the, the pastors are the actors or actresses on stage, they're the ones performing. And then God is the prompter down in the little hooded hidden area telling the pastors, who are the actors and actresses, what to perform. And Kierkegaard says, that's what, it, what, what, that seems to be the mindset. And Kierkegaard says, that's not how it's meant to be. He says, actually, what is meant to be taking place is this, that the, the pastors are meant to be the prompters. They're meant to be the facilitators of worship, the ones that the, the, the prompt. What's the next line? The pastor is supposed to be the prompters urging on the next line. The actors, the ones who are performing worship, is the congregation. The men and women of the church are the ones performing worship. And the audience, the one applauding, is God. That God, that the 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 congregation is performing worship for God, and God is the audience applauding this on. Now, uh, there I think if you push the analogy too far, it breaks down because I, I think God isn't just passively watching. I think God's act, he's in, in a way by a spirit, he's in, he's active in worship as well. But I do think Kierkegaard uh, does point out a really helpful dynamic, and this idea that the that the, the dynamic that the Pastors are meant to facilitate, meant to prompt worship, but the worship takes place as an entire people together. We actively worship. Worship is a verb. We actively engage in worship for the living God of the universe. And this idea that worship is a verb, I think, I think Kierkegaard taps into that in a helpful way. Now, uh, one possible response to that, one maybe resistance to that, would be, okay, so I'm, pro, you know, we're, we're together performing worship for God, and uh, so, you know, we're telling God how great he is, and so wait a second. Is God really insecure or arrogant? Or what is the deal? Why do we have to keep telling him how great he is? Does he know how great? Doesn't he feel good about himself already? I mean, is it, is it like God's like this insecure Hollywood celebrity who's taking God's selfies and saying, everybody, look how great he is. Is that what God, I mean, what is, or is he just arrogant? I mean, why this, this call over and over again to tell God how great he is, how good he is? And I think the, uh, What's, what, where, we, where that thinking goes wrong, I believe, is this. Is it, uh, in that in that line of thinking, it presumes that God is a being like ourselves, only bigger. That God's like us, just bigger. And so we imagine, well, if I was just asking everybody, look at me, look how great I am, everybody tell me how great I am. That if I were doing that, I'd, that'd either be because I'm quite insecure are quite arrogant. And so we think, well, that must be maybe that's what God is like. But the error in that thinking is that it's it's thinking that God's like us, just bigger. God is not like us, God is a different kind of being altogether. God is, He is not merely good lowercase G. Like we you, we can there can be a good man or a good woman. God is good capital G. He is the source of goodness. God is true, capital T. God is beauty, capital B. He's the source of beauty. God is the ground of existence. All things that have life and existence in this universe find their life and existence in the ground of existence, God himself. He is the source of of love, of joy, of peace, of patience, of justice and mercy. He's the source of all those things. He's the fountainhead of love in this universe, the fountainhead of joy in this universe. He is a different kind of being altogether. C.S. Lewis observed this and uh, spoke of it this way He said, God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself, because it is not there. There is no such thing. The ultimate reality and the final analysis, the source of joy, of happiness, of peace, of love, the source of that all comes back to the fountainhead of life. God, Father, Son, Spirit. And so anytime we taste happiness or joy or peace or love, that, that that can trace its way back to the source of it, God. And so when God, when God invites us to worship, He invites us to the fountainhead of life, of joy, of love, this God of self-giving love. In fact, the most, if you are a being who is the source of all goodness in the universe, if you are a being who is the source of joy, the source of beauty, the most caring, generous, unselfish thing you could do is invite people to come and experience. Come and drink. Come and taste. And this is who God is. That even worship itself is a gift to us. The invitation to worship is a gift. To experience the source of goodness and love. And we, we see this character of God. We see it made concrete in the historical life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. In the compassion of Jesus. In the death of Jesus where he would take on pain and death and suffering and even on himself. So that we could find forgiveness in life. That he, he would die to rescue even his enemies. We see God's self-giving love made concrete in history. And so the the invitation to worship is a gift to us. It's an invitation to be called away from worship of self. Worship of self is, we get trapped in our own tiny skull-sized kingdoms. It's an invitation to be free from that. It's an invitation to be free from the self-centered. I'm the most important thing in the universe that distorts and twists our humanity and makes us into men and women we're never meant to be. It's an invitation away from that. It's an invitation to come to the fountain of life, the God of self-giving love, the God of compassion and justice, to come and make him the center of our lives, to make him the center of our community, to focus our hearts and minds on him and to be shaped into his image. And more and more become the men and women we're meant to be. It's a gift. Even in the invitation to worship, we see the goodness of the living God. What I'd like to do now, uh, we're going we're gonna to continue in our worship, but we're going we're gonna to transition and, and practice this together. And so what I'd like to do now is I'm going uh, to put a question for us to reflect on on the screen uh, above. This is me as prompter. And uh, so this is the question. What aspect of God's character or uh, what aspect of God's character or what aspect of how Jesus rescued us in history, what aspect of that do you feel compelled to worship him for today? to honor him for today. So what I'd like to do, a lot of us, uh, a couple weeks ago we gave out notebooks to take notes for the sermons in. And I know a lot of people have those. And so I uh, invite you, if you want, to, to journal on that, write prayers on that in response to that question. We're gonna, the band's going to come back up and just jam for a little bit and give you time to reflect on that. If you don't have a notebook to take notes in on Sunday mornings and you would like one, um, there, are, there are more notebooks that just, it's a gift to you in back by the windows over there. So in a second, feel free to pop up and go grab one if you want. Um, but also if you just want to, if you just want to um, pray and reflect to yourself, that is, uh, that is fine as well. So I'm going to give you a chance to write on that, write, write your thoughts, your prayers on that. And then, uh, we're going to sing together. And then in a little bit, you're going to, I'm going to invite a few of you, if you would like to share, uh, the prayers, uh, the thoughts that you wrote. So that'll be an option. Uh, yeah, let me let me pray together and then I'll give you a chance to reflect on this question. <sighs> Father, Son, Spirit, uh, I recognize that often my vision of you gets cloudy. Uh, in my mind and my imagination and my emotions, I forget uh, who you are. I forget your goodness and your beauty. Your love... Uh, for people in this world. I would ask, uh, Spirit, would you shake shake that dust off this morning? For this church family, would you give us a renewed vision of what's most real, you and your character? Would you capture our minds and our hearts again? Um, We need your help even in this. So, Spirit, we open ourselves up to you now. In Jesus' name, amen.